Days Five Hot Takes. Yeah. Welcome back to Days Five Hot Takes, everybody. So glad everybody is back. This is uh, a really fun uh, interview podcast. So I'm going to be doing a few different podcasts, types of podcasts with with this uh, Dave's Five Hot Takes. And this one's an interview. And what, what we're doing is really fun. We're having friends of mine come on and they bring their Five Hot Takes. So today I have the incredible, illustrious, illuminated James Bay all the way from London town as we talk about. James is becoming one of my favorite people in the world. I met him only about a year and a half ago. He played a show here at the Ryman. We talk about that some. Um, and it was amazing. It was so much fun to be in a crowd that was just so electric. Every single word, everybody was singing along. It was sold out. It was a great show. Uh, we share a mutual friend, John Green. You'll hear us talk about who we both love with all of our hearts. He's another um, Arsenal fan, which makes us even closer. No, I don't know. Uh, James is a Newcastle fan, which you'll hear us talk about. We're both footy fans, if you're, as they call it, across the pond. But um, John connected uh, James and I when he was in town, and so he got he got me and some friends uh, tickets to his show, and we got to hang a little bit afterwards. And I was so struck by James's warmth. He's just such a kind, wonderful dude. I mean, I really, really can't say enough about how amazing he is. One of my favorite things about music is when I get to meet people that. Uh, I really enjoy and respect, and they end up being even kinder, more wonderful, normal people. And James is definitely uh, that. Um, the, this is just some fun facts about James. This sort of blew my mind, so so there's even more perspective before you hear the interview. Five million albums sold worldwide, six billion global streams, 1.5 million albums sold in the UK, double Brit Award winner, three-time Grammy nominee, Ivor Novello Award winner, tracks Let It Go and Hold Back Forever are triple platinum, Number one album, Chaos and the Calm, is certified double platinum and is played on stage with the Rolling Stones, Ed Sheeran, and Louis Capaldi. I mean, if that's not a, a brag sheet, I don't know a brag sheet. Um, and again, the great thing about James is you would never know his accomplishments if you sat down and hung out with him because it seems like the dude you like grew up playing soccer with or riding bikes around the neighborhood. He's just such an incredibly warm, wonderful, supportive friend. I'm really proud to uh, have him as someone that I get to know and and hang out with uh, every now and then. Um, this was such a fun interview. Um, something that you need to know about James that I think you'll see is not only is he a great songwriter, not only is he a great singer, but he's a really great guitar player too. And it's fun throughout this interview, he had his guitar with him. And so he would intermittently kind of, you know, reference that um, and he would play. And I just thought this is such a great thing. So it was such a fun interview. He was so up for it, which is the best part about this podcast with this interview section is when people are really like, all right, he actually asked to have some time to prep, which was like the greatest compliment of all time. I asked him to be on the podcast a few months ago and he's like, I'll do it, but I want time. I want really good five takes. And I was like, all right. So, and he nailed it. We had so much fun. Um, so without any further ado, uh, here's James Bay on Dave's Five Hot Takes. Here we are at Dave's Five Hot Takes. And uh, this one's a real honor. I'm, I'm with the one and only James Bay all the way from London town. You're in London, right? I am indeed. Yes. Um, and I just I want to I want to brag I'm going to brag a little bit okay so James um, is a newer friend we have a mutual friend named John Green who we both deeply love uh, superhero another uh, sort of embittered uh, heart hurting Arsenal fan but we'll mm. quickly move through that <laughs> um, and and uh, I saw you play at the Ryman which one was that in uh, last year no it was at, wow it was actually March 2019 good gracious time is flying. I mean, gracious sake, which you lit the place on fire. Oh, oh and hey, was, what I did, hey, do you see what I did there? <laughs> okay, no, yeah. okay. You oh, you've, already, you've already said, John, this is good. This is <laughs> good. good. So, um, 
But it was such a good show. And everybody, I, I love those kind of shows for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I love so much about that night is it just felt like everybody was in. Like, I love looking around. Nobody's like standing up and feeling it. And it was, it was cool. It's such uh, we, a great show. And you know, you know about the Ryman and, um, and the, the, how special the place is. Um, and I, I have a sort of an, uh, an affinity now. I'm going to say it. I have, feel like I have an affinity with Nashville. Um, from making my first record there, that's I've, right. I've, that's I've, right. I've been back recently recording as well, but I've done I've done a whole load of shows over over the years there, and that was I'm very honoured to say it was my third night in, that I'd ever done in the Ryman. So it's very cool, um, Dave. We are very naturally and beautifully just rolling into this, but I just have to say, so I've said it. Thank you so much for having me. This is Don't very this. exciting. Don't you I, turn this back I, this, this, uh, this might be the <laughs> this might be. <laughs> the earlier days of the sort of the full podcast version of, of days five hot takes, but I have followed you on Instagram doing this on stories. <laughs> I am such a intense geek for this show. Um, and, and you said, you said if you, if you just spare me an hour and I've thought since you asked me to do this about how I'd like 10 hours, if I could have them, well, um, it, we'll, we'll work it right. out. We'll work it yeah, out. We'll, thank you, so, man. So, 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 James, you. Th- this was really fun for me. One, one of my favorite things about doing this, especially with friends, and, and especially, especially with newer friends, is I get to do sort of like the deep dive on the background. Now, you and I, last time we hung out, we were here in Nashville. We shared mm. some brekkie mm. um, and a, a, a cuppa, uh, which right. I guess that's all Aussie, but you know, it's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so, and we talked a lot about this, you and I. But it was fun here in the last few days to actually do like a deeper dive on, you know. Uh, all things James Bay, Jimmy Bay, and, and so, so, so I want to ask you this: like, as you, as you, when, when was the first time you got the bug? Like, when were you like, okay, this music thing? Because I know your brother plays, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when we, so we grew up. We're eighteen months. He's only, he's eighteen months older than me. He's only eighteen months older than me, and um, we grew up very close uh, in in every way, and we sort of fell in love with all sorts of different. Um, obsessions be it football be it skateboarding be it music uh, around the same sort of time so we always had each other to bounce off music was uh music and drawing were the first ones music might have been the first one um as far as when we were really little kids and i remember hearing uh it was music uh that my mum would play which she'd go and find on the radio or she'd play her own um record collection and that was soul music stacks and motown stuff typically and my dad was always all about rock and roll um uh, as far as what to him was more recent, which was the Stones, because he was uh, uh, in his sort of teens and his 20s when they were first coming through. But it was going back to sort of Chuck Berry and Little Richard and that kind of thing as well. And he loved Bruce Springsteen as well. He was a big fan of that. So we had uh, such a great – and they both liked other things in between, but we had all of that um, kind of coming at us from, from every angle around the house uh, when we were little kids. And in a way, that was the first time I feel like I, I got the bug because I had my own excitement for it. I watched my brother's excitement, his independent excitement for it. And and we would start to sort of bounce off the walls and stay up kind of late into the night when we were little kids playing, having the radio on or playing records. So the other place where we were getting music was when we turned the radio on and, and pop music, all the pop music of the sort of late 90s and the, and the early 2000s was sort of jumping off there and we were going, going crazy for that. Uh, and then... By the time I was 11, I, I was picking up a guitar like a lot of kids at school. Again, there were sort of people around and you just sort of bounce off everybody. And the cool thing was to be able to play a Red Hot Chili Peppers riff or something or, <laughs> or smoke on the water or something like that. Yeah. Um, but my dad played, he, he'd always been a fan of Eric Clapton. One Saturday afternoon, he put um, 
a CD and a CD player and he turned it up quite loud. I was in my bedroom at the top of the stairs and I heard it through the house and it was, it was Layla. Mm. And I just, I, I just, I sort of. The siren song. Oh, I, I sort of fell down the stairs essentially to, to, <laughs> to get to the music, to get closer. I sat through the whole recording and then I played which it again. Is, which can we say that's a, that's a lot to do for a kid. Cause that's a long song. Absolutely. The piano outro. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. But there's still, and there's still, oh, well, and at the end of the day, for, for all of the sort of long piano outro, it's all so emotive. That song is so mm, emotive that's a good one. At, at every point. Um, so I fell in love with that and, and learning to play the guitar. And um, I, it just sort of all, you know, grew, grew from there. So the, mm. the bug might have started when I was maybe even three or four as far as, wow, music moves me yeah. so much. You know what I think is so fascinating about that is – one of your fellow Brits, I know a good friend of yours, I listened to an uh, uh, interview with Ed Oh, yeah, Sheeran. yeah. And both of you guys were Clapton. Like, Clapton was sort of the gateway drug for both we, of you guys. Yeah, and we were about the same age. And I, I saw it last year, very lucky uh, to get to tour with Ed. He invited me out to open for him in football stadiums around Europe. It was a <laughs> wild experience, wild, wild experience. And But I did get to talk to him about that at one point, and he said, so he was about eleven years old as well. Wow. Um, we were about we were about the same age by a few months, um, and he had seen there was a big jubilee um, celebration. Yeah, the Queen's, for, the yeah, Queen's, yeah, jubilee. Yeah, for, for a yeah. celebration for the for the Queen. Um, there was a big live event outside Buckingham Palace, and I, I remember this. I don't remember it as vividly as him, but um, Eric Clapton played Layla at that event, and it was live and it was put on TV, and he was sat in front of the TV saying to his dad, what is this? And, yeah, and yeah, it, it blew him yeah. away. So it's, well, isn't it, this is what I love about that though. And I think this is really profound is that really, and you said it well before, technically you should have been listening to the red hot chip, chili yeah. peppers or stone to what, whatever the band of yeah. the day was with a predominant guitar playing. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. But yeah. Isn't it so encouraging to artists like you and I, mm. that music is timeless because oh. really, you know, Clapton is, is who, People 10, 15 years older than you and I should have that should have been the guy, you yeah. know. But yeah. instead, here you are hearing a hearing a song that's 20 plus years old. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, what what's cool about that story too is Ed's was live. So it's not just the recording that moved him, but the song. Yours is the recording. So yeah. it's it's also that. So it's this cool moment. And I think it's such an encouraging thing for us songwriters and artists is mm. to realize like great music is just always great music. It is. And, and well, that's the great message. Yeah. If you've written a really good song, it's going to translate live on record or co covered by somebody or so. And actually to that point, I, I ran down the stairs when my dad was playing that song in the living room. <laughs> I, I, I lost my little mind. Um, I said, what's this? Once it finished, he told me what it was and we played it again and, um, and we uh. listened to it and, it and it was amazing. And then, and then some, a few days later, it came to me like maybe two days later it came to me how great that was and i ran downstairs to the sort of rack of cds to find it take it up to my room and and wear it out and in doing that um i got up to my room i put the cd in i looked for the track number on the back and i pressed play and this is so lame i have a guitar right next to me but instead of getting i got oh my gosh and i got the acoustic version and i was kind of like I was so it was such a magical but confused state that I was in because <laughs> I was like most of my childhood. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is so this is so absolutely what I wanted and so not what I wanted. How crazy! But what a great example that unplugged record is of of great songs translating still. 
as uh, you know in, in some different version as as Layla does in that in that unplugged version. So how how long from eleven? Uh, like when's your first gig? When do you start writing songs and going? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go play songs. Um, we so my brother got we got quite uh, into all of it together. He we we just sort of did everything together. Uh, given we grew up so close in age, and we neither of us had ever been afraid to sort of sing in the back of a car, like when we were traveling somewhere and putting music on, you know, with our folks or anything. So and because we were so sort of comfortable around each other, we would just. I learned to play a few things. I remember learning to play like Brown Eyed Girl by uh, Van Morrison, mm. uh, stuff like that, sort of simpler stuff before getting to the, the Clapton riffs. And I would sing or Alex would, would sing along. And so by the time I was about 14, we'd written a couple of songs, basic songs, but learned all sorts of Stones covers and stuff. Mm. And that was when we were first, <laughs> I remember one of our first, um, shows was in a pub you know you play in sort of pubs and clubs around your hometown or which was just outside london for us it wasn't in london we were about an hour outside of london um we would go to the pubs uh, in the afternoon when kids were allowed in and say if you need any music we'd love to play wait wait so tell me about this for because i don't know this is an american so pubs is is that that's not anybody can go and need at any time um no not after a certain time from sort of eight in the evening it's not really for kids anymore most pubs exactly. not not all pubs but most okay. pubs um, but they do like to have entertainment and stuff uh, and, and covers bands and stuff. And we said, we sort of boldly, we'd, we'd never considered that they might just say, your kids get out, no chance. <laughs> we just go in and ask um, or, or we get people's like email addresses or phone numbers. Actually, it was a lot more phone numbers and, or going in and asking. Um, and my brother actually did a lot of that. Uh, you know, credit to him for doing the most, most of that and, and being the sort of the agent for the band. So, are y'all both singing? Uh, more or less, he was the lead singer. I, oh, okay, wow. I, okay. We, but okay. we were we were also already into like bands like the Black Crows, who you know, yeah, Rick, some, yeah. sometimes yeah. Rich Robinson yeah. would do a song, so we we do that okay. kind of thing. And like with the Stones, Keith would do Happy, so right, you know, right, right. we do that kind of thing. So, but yeah, we did a lot of the singing and, and had all the sort of confidence because we had the confidence from and in each other. We were yes. able to sort of do it like, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. It, it, so it was a magical time. All of that. So did you? Did you? When did that, because at some point, obviously, there's a moment where you sort of go, okay, I, I'm going to sort of go it on my own. Yeah, I we we did our thing. I was from about the age of, sort of 13 or 14. Me and Alex were sort of joined at the hip musically. And then by the time I was 17 or 18, well, maybe 18 or 19, maybe it was a bit older than that, because we did a, almost a solid sort of five years of just playing in, in bands, you know, together, as a band together. And I just... I became the one in the band who kind of got, uh, yeah. I, I, I want to say kind of got bored the fastest with the, with the present outfit. And I wanted to change it into something that was a bit more like this or something that was a bit more like that. And then I started seeing trios thinking more about bands like cream. And I remember seeing the, or finding the John Mayer trio record mm. and going, Oh, this is a thing. And wanting to having been a sort of side man, go to the center and I, I was also falling in love with James Taylor stuff and, and Carol King stuff and these sort of solo singer songwriter types. Right, right, want, right. Wanted to try it myself. So I was about 18, I guess, when, when I got into doing that. And yeah, I left whatever the last outfit that me and my brother were doing to go off and try it on my own. So, so tell me this because, you know, myself and a lot of my friends here in the States, there's, there's a pretty well-worn path of like, you know, where you play. You know, sure. if you're doing acoustic stuff, there's a lot of coffee. Like at the time, yeah. you know, this is in the 
sort of like uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. There's a lot of coffee shops, which mm. are becoming all the rage, you yeah. know, because that, that's still sort of a newer thing. Yeah. Um, so there were those. And then if you like had a band, there were clubs that were just music mm. venues, you know, mm. where you'd go play those that were anywhere from three to 500. Mm. And then as your career progressed, but everything is is sort of localized. But, you know, the states are huge. I mean, you could, and, and I know a lot of people that are like this, you can have massive followings in sections of the states. Sure. And then have, you know, Texas itself has a circuit where guys and, and bands and girls don't ever leave. And they're just massive in Texas. Yeah. But if they drive 200 miles anywhere, they're, they're not as big. So in the UK, I've always been so curious, like you're an 18, 19 year old singer songwriter. What, what, how do you, how do you get your thing out? Where are you playing? Like, what I, are you doing? I think um, me, me, myself, and when we were teenagers, me and my brother, we were really inspired by and aware of that idea of how it worked in America. And we never for a second recognized that America is enormous compared to the UK. <laughs> like the, the UK is this tiny place where when you, one day when you get to sort of arenas uh, or, well, yeah, arenas, there's sort of 20 arenas to do maybe. And that's it. Um, and, that, and then you've done. And, and that, so when you've done, yeah, your UK you, tour is going to be there. It's like three weeks, your UK tour at that point, maybe wow. four. Wow. So, so, and of course in America, you can tour one of the coasts endlessly. Anyway, at 18 or 19, the, the way that I recognized, the way that I decided to try and do it, and I guess the way that sort of helped me is you go, you know, completely unknown and, and you know, all on your own um, to somewhere like my choices were Brighton, which is down on the South Coast. Right, Bright, right. Brighton is a, a very sort of creative and, and buzzy uh, kind of student town, but again, just with a lot of sort of creative types. Um, London is kind of the, the big mecca, but it's the most expensive place to try and get to or be in. Um, mm. and, and then everywhere else from where I was living, which is about an hour north of London, was a bit too sort of far and expensive for me to really get to. So I spent a couple of years going to Brighton uh, and then got to London. But these cities, when you get to them, my thing was just to do those places as much as possible, work through all the open mics where you do sort of open mic nights where you do three songs. Um, I did this in Brighton a lot. I do three songs uh, in 20 minutes in a, in a one pub at 7.30 p.m. I'd, I'd leave and I'd walk down the street to the next one. No way. Three songs in there at sort of 8.30 p.m. And so you do a lot of waiting around to sort of get your slot sort of thing. So let me ask you this. So when you're doing that, uh, uh, are you driving down or are you taking the train? I, it was a train. I was For most of the Brighton time, I was living in Brighton. I was a student in Brighton. Oh, I had that's a, great. Okay. I, had, okay. I, had like a, I had a room, basically. And um, so I was on foot the rest of the time. I was These cities in, you know, and there are hubs within cities in America like this, but these are there's corners of London that are sort of um, pedestrian enough that you can, right, you can right, wander right, around. Right, Sometimes right. it is a lot of walking and you're walking right. like 40 minutes to one place and then 50 minutes to the next. But, right. but yeah, it's a lot of that. And it was a lot of that around Brighton as well. Brighton's a bit smaller, so it was easier to do it. And it's just, and the other thing I did in Brighton a lot was busk. I don't know if that word. No does that, Yeah. Does that? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, and, and I remember sort of cautiously and nervously kind of coming up with the idea that I'd try that in Brighton, having seen it a lot. And I would go up to, uh, pretty sort of sturdy, regular buskers and between songs would say, hey, what's the deal? Can we just do this? Will I get arrested? Um, no way. And they said, look, as long as you're cool and you're not doing anything offensive, the police in Brighton typically are just fine with you doing it. And you can, and I would sort of jangle home with a good chunk of change in my guitar case. Um, as, a, <laughs> yeah, as a, as a, as a sort of struggling <laughs> student. Um, but I did that a lot on weekends. And sometimes. You know what? So this is the thing that I want to, I want to draw attention to. 
that I think is really fascinating about your story. And also, so this is what's cool. So, so Andy Grammer, do you know, Andy, he's an, he's an American musician. Yeah. I know that. Um, yeah. He's yeah. had big, big hits in America. Yes. He's, he's a wonderful guy, but he busked. Right. Like for a while. Fantastic. Uh, Ed busked. Mm. You busked. Oh yeah. And sure. I think there's something that's so fascinating about people who spend time doing that. And I think your pedigree is so fascinating because, um, you know, you sort of, you, you hit your 10,000 hours at 20. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you put in all this time. Yeah. So by the time you're really a professional, you're five years, six years ahead of guys like me who at 21 were like, okay, now I go out and I start this career. Yeah. And it's so fascinating because the, all three of y'all, if you see any of you play, you look like you know what you're doing and you've done this for a long time. It's interesting that um, I, two years ago, it was a summer of sort of festivals in the UK um, that we were doing and on a similar point on the bill at some of those festivals was Sean Mendes. Sean is yeah, yeah. Um, obviously gargantuanly successful and fantastic and, and it's all very wonderful and congrats to him. And he's a great dude. I, I like Sean a lot. Um, and he, he's, what is he now? He's 21, I think. He's, so young, he's, he's really he's, young. He's like approximately 20, uh, 10 years younger than me. And his experience was so different. I, I mean, sure, he had a, a life on social media, sort of pushing his his musicality that way. But he told me at this festival we were hanging out, and I, he invited me on stage, which was very cool and, and, and an honour to be invited. Um, and before we went on, we were talking, and he was making this point about what what he kind of knew about me and my my sort of busking history and my open mic history. Um, as I was watching him kind of play with his his um, his uh, like his in-ears pack on his belt. And he told me about, he said, because I didn't have the experience like you where um, if something goes a bit wrong in a live experience, uh, in a live performance, I can just sort of play something else or sort of fake it one way to make it another way. He said, what I've learned to do in a slightly neurotic way is know exactly how my pack works, everything about it. And in a moment on stage, know how to edit or fix it. And that's wow, like the, wow. that's like the, I, I didn't really, that's the best way I can describe it. That's like the, the kind of 10 years younger yeah. than me's yeah. generation of kind that's of what right. they've learned and how to do it. I, I guess at least in his case and, and probably in lots of artists and, and performers cases of, of that sort of age. It was interesting. Yeah. But it's funny, but it's funny. I, I think thinking about how you develop, I mean, I, I tell this all the time, whenever I meet players, especially that I'm always like, you are such a incredible player. I'm, I'm telling you, it is 90% of the time they were in a cover band for three years, five years. Because there's, and to your point in, in yeah. your pedigree, there's something about when you have to do something and learn how people do it, and you're studying the stones for a little while before mm. you do, or you're busking and you're having yeah. to throw covers in there. Yeah. Lots, you just yeah. sort of osmotically take all this information in. That's very true. That, that's, you a, know? yeah, that's, a, that's, that's always, I think it's a great, um, and worthwhile thing to be talking about on, on this kind of platform where, where lots of people on their musical journeys will be listening because, um, yeah, you, that, that, that plays into the sort of 10,000 hours. That's exactly right. If you're, if you're doing covers and, and, and like, you know, busking or open mics, that moment, whether it's a cover or your own song, particularly with busking, you are faced with a moment where you've stopped in the street, having walked down into town with your guitar on your shoulder. And when you stop in the street, that's it. You've got to put it down and people are going to be walking past looking at you going, Who's, what's this guy doing? How, how come he's just stopped in the street? And you just got to go through with it all. And I remember the first times trying that and it's, it's very daunting. 
Um, but you have to, you are asking yourself in that moment, well, do I, do I want to sort of have an effect on some people with my music? Do I want to find out, you know, what I'm sort of kind of made of and what I'm, what I'm worth here? Cause this yeah. is, this is the, the best place right now where I'm going to kind of find that out. Well, so, and you know, here's, here's, here's the last question before we jump into the five hot takes. So, so, cause it seems like looking at your career, the star rose really quickly and it did, but it's really interesting, isn't it? That if you actually peel back the years a little bit, you realize there was all this time so that you've been doing it. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah, that that's, I think about that a lot. And, and I, I faced, you know, I was faced in the last few years, uh, well, like sort of five, six and seven years ago were the moments from between 2013 and sort of 2015. I was, yeah, I had a lot of people saying, tell us how, you know, tell us about how, uh, tell us about your overnight success. And I, and I, and and it's, and it sort of falls two ways that, that, that's fair in, in one respect because to the world, they didn't know you one day and they do the next. Um, because hopefully of a song in my case, a song, and that's, that's fantastic. And, And I'm super proud of it. But um, yeah, there's this there's this other thing that you're thinking when you're when you're asked, you know, how it feels for that to have happened, which is um, how do I tell them really quickly, like in this <laughs> in, in this in this sort of ninety second soundbite segment about the ten years, you know, about the ten years I've spent like learning covers and playing covers right. and get, getting talked right. over by fifty people in a bar. Right. You right. know, and, and then recognizing the moment when they listened to a chorus that I'd written, but they weren't listening to the rest of the song. They were talking about that. It's all super important, all those moments. And, and, and they, they obviously shape you and help you sort of build your, your craft and all of that. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a strange one uh, to talk about, but it's, um, it, there was a moment, there was of course a, a moment in all of it where there was a bit of an overnight thing, because like I say, as a result of people liking one or two songs of mine in the, in the beginning of my sort of, more professional sort of leg of my career so far. Um, they, yeah, these, these songs reacted and everybody who didn't know I existed suddenly knew I did. <laughs> suddenly knew did. And all those people that saw you in a pub like five years before, like that's the guy. There's you a lot of that. The guy? There's a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's yeah. how did, so how did, I guess part B of that last question is how did you deal with that? Like what, what were the ways that you sort of, or, you know, how, how did you um, think about that as it was really exploding? I really tried to, uh, usually they use this phrase with sort of negative stuff, but I, but I suppose, I don't know, there'll be a better version of this phrase, but I sort of tried to just take it on the chin and kind of, um, like move through it as, um, calmly as I, as I could, uh, or in as calm a way as I could, um, uh, and just enjoy the, the parts, uh, in it that I'd enjoyed before, essentially any of the kind of fame aspect, you know, it al- yeah. always enjoy. It was always like the most, Oh my God, the most exciting thing to go to America and stand in any room and play my songs because I was in America doing it or, <laughs> yeah. you know, cause I, d- I dreamed about that kind of thing or like Shepherd's Bush empire in a, a, a historic venue in London, um, you know, to get to play there. It wasn't like, check me out. I'm me and I'm doing this. It was like, wow, they're, they're all right with me playing in here tonight because a load of people <laughs> yeah. have come to see it. That's the, that's the thing I, the, I dreamed about. So I just sort of held on to, I, yeah, I sort of hold, held on to the, the genuinely, 
uh, exciting aspects of it all that would have excited sort of seven-year-old me, 17-year-old me. Or 70. What was the first show in that season that you played that you kind of like goosebumped? That you kind of went like, holy cow. That's a good question. You felt like it at all, you know, the stars were really aligning in your own stage. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is like one of those moments I wanted to happen and it's happening. Um, One of them, one of the earliest ones was actually probably Hotel Cafe in uh, in LA. LA. That's so So I was uh, 22 or 21 or 22 when I played in there for the first time. Um, and it was a bit of a showcase thing. There were some really early, early fans who sort of knew one song that I put online, who it, it were you know had heard it and were in LA and came. And then there was a sort of a, a chunk of industry types there. But I, so I was twenty two. I from the age of fourteen or fifteen, I was on YouTube looking at p- people doing performances in hotel cafe. Yeah, in hotel cafe. So I had dreamed about being in that oh, room. I love that. So I just, love that. Oh, it's so funny as well. My uh, my wonderful, lovely manager, Ryan, he can't drive at this point. He's not someone who drives. And he came to LA with me and I can drive. So I drove the car. And um, there was a very scary five minutes where the traffic in LA was so intense that he oh. got he got out the car to run to the venue. And I had to sit in the car behind the wheel, like trying to park. He's it coming. Somewhere. He's coming. <laughs> and then Ryan was just like, he is coming. I promise. Isn't that great? And I just want to, I just want to reiterate what you've just said. I think I love that. And of course, you're such a wonderful person. It's one of the things that I think is so oh, amazing about you. But but that you didn't say first time you played Shepherd's Bush, first time you played the O2, where, you know, but the, but and, and those are great. I can't imagine. But, it's but crazy, I think but- all the same that, that, you know, that moment was when you were like, holy cow, I'm standing yeah. on stage at this venue that I've yeah. watched, all, you know, that's yeah. got so much history. And yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy to, to have those moments. And, and actually, what's funny is, the bigger venues are still exciting and they're still important and uh, and all of that. But if there are moments, there was a moment and this doesn't happen to everybody, but there was a moment where I could sell more tickets than hotel cafe or I could sell more tickets than two hotel cafes. So you feel for a moment like, Oh, I left, I've left that venue behind. Um, but the fact that I can go back there and, and, and play in there um, yeah. on, on occasion is even more special actually yeah that's right that's right that's the great thing and you know people you know this so well which we'll talk about this a little bit later this question i want to address i will hold there (laughs) i think the thing that's so crazy is it's in for people who don't play music um there's such a and this is such a dumb thing to say but it's true there's such a difference between hotel cafe and Mm. the o2 Mm -hmm. and you think you know which is huge venue in in england But, but but you think well, it's just a bunch of people, but no, 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 no. Oh, I mean, the, the way you do the show, how you have to, you know, run the show. I remember the first time talking to some of my friends who were starting to do really big shows years ago and me just being like, what's the deal? And they were like, dude, it's just, you throw so many things out the window. Yeah. Because when you're playing Hotel Cafe, one of the things that's so fun is the interaction. Like you're talking, yeah. you're, they're listening, yeah. you're laughing, you're, you know, you're off the cuff, you're making, and then all of a sudden you get to, a big venue like that. And the joke yeah. turns into. Yeah. And it's, point, it's, pointless, <laughs> and it's completely pointless. And you sort of become like a, a Broadway or like a West end stage performer said. when you perfectly get, said. when you get to perfectly the big places, said. but like, you know, um, I'm just remembering some of the, uh, there was a recording of, of John Mayer at hotel cafe that I found on YouTube when I was a kid and I got so obsessed with it. Um, 
and 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 again so appreciated even more the 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 beautiful nuances of playing in a tiny a t- i call it a tiny room it's yeah, a big it is, it's always well, a big deal but it's a, but it's a small room yeah, it's a small room yeah um and and uh, falling in love with those moments where and there's other examples of this from other performers but he'll say something between songs and then there's that weird sort of half silence where you can hear I'm not watching this. This wasn't a visual, it wasn't a video, it was audio. You can hear a facial expression that he's made and then yeah. the people in the front row who've, re- who've reacted to it. <laughs> yeah. And from a you know about this, from a performance yeah. perspective, we are tuning into those things yeah, massively for sure. for because sure. it's all part of the, the craft again. You know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a different thing. And, and again, to, to the people out there that don't play music and you, you know, you've seen guys like James go from smaller clubs to huge arenas, it, it can't be said enough like, those things are really fun, but each of them carry their own weights. And I think people can look at what we do and think, well, isn't the goal always to get to the big venue? And sometimes it is, sometimes it is, but it's not the same show. And and you can have skill sets that actually don't work at one of one or the other. It's very true. You know? And I, I've, I've, there's been a few, I've been watching a lot of music documentaries lately. I kind of always am doing that, but there's a couple of moments lately where I've heard different individuals. There, I think there was a moment in the, in the Eric Clapton one recently, the other day I watched it and it's called Life in 12 Bars. It's very good. Um, really good. Uh, and he said it and someone else said it. I heard there's a, there's a, there was a comedian that was saying everybody's ego is all about the arenas. Yeah. But the artist in everyone is all about the theaters. Oh, that's so good. Or maybe somebody, somebody smaller, but we we, we, we all know that a theater, like when I, when I go to the Fox, uh, theater in Oakland. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, and when I played the Beacon Theatre in New York, I did two nights there last year, and, and I'm uh, and I played Radio City, which is a bigger theatre, and I really hope to get to Madison Square Garden one day because that would be a dream for its history alone. But uh, the Beacon, I just yeah. had had the magic. That's it. They have the magic. Isn't that amazing? Theaters. Yeah, that size somehow accomplishes exactly what your vision for what you do is. It's got scale, but it's got intimacy, and it's just yeah. wonderful. All right, James, you know what it's time for. I'm very excited. Time for the first hot take. Hot take one. Come on, bring it on. Okay, I don't know how, I want to sort of, there's so many ways I wanted to try and sort of settle this up and I, and I, because I've obviously overworked this in my mind massively, purely from excitement. And I have, I'm glad I've wound up with five. I had some sort of peripheral extras and I don't know, I've been, I've, I've almost been studying your, 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 um, your, your Instagram stories, five hot takes. Anyway, number one. Um, and this is, of course, a tribute to the great man that we recently lost, Mr. Bill Withers. Oh, come on. Um, but I, I've observed this thing and it, it, it fascinates me. And, I, and there are some great examples, but I think I, I feel like we find it in all of his songs. So Bill Withers is, I'm looking at my notes here. This obviously, is great. Yeah, I've got script. This is- <laughs> um, I, I, well, it's a terrible script. Is that? He's, he's, of course, responsible for, you know, classics but he's kind of the most, they're always the most refined and sort of, it's the most refined and sort of lean songwriting yes. to the degree which I have recognized, um, and feel free to challenge this, some of his best and biggest songs, uh, he's got them down to two sections. Typically, songwriting is a verse and a chorus and a third section. A bridge, a I'm middle eight, blowing my mind right whatever now. you want to call it. But go, Ain't No Sunshine, Grandma's Hands, Use Me, three of his big ones. Ain't No Sunshine, Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone. That song doesn't even have an intro. He's not even worried about an intro at that yeah, point. Yeah, he's in. He's in. It's not born when she's away. Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone. And then he's got the I Know, I Know, I Know, I Know section. 
So he's got like he's got like verse. Yeah, what well, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a with a great line, Ain't No Sunshine. Um, which is the title of the song. And then he's got the I know I know section. And then he does the Ain't No Sunshine thing again and and we're done. And it's one of the I absolute I've not most classes. And then Grandma's Hands, oh, this is so geeky because I've got a guitar. It's the best way that's that I've seen. This is the best. This is the best. That was it. So it's got uh, Grandma's Hands at the church on Sunday morning. Grandma, the tambourine so well, oh, Grandma's Hands. He used to issue out of morning. He'd say, Billy, don't you run so fast. Don't turn up these guys. There's Grandma's Hands. And that's it. That's it. There's those two Holy sections. Cow. It's first, and then it's that sort of. So it's one and two sections, and then lean on. Um, not lean on me. Uh, use me. What does it do? Right. I want to spread the news that if it feels this, that's the second section. Yeah. So it's it's James. This is. You're, so, this is. I just want to applaud this. This is incredible. I was trying to bring some a game sort of. Hot no, no, you don't in. like. You don't understand. I'm. I'm not saying anything because my br- my brain is just like wrapping itself around here. So here's the thing about Bill Withers uh, that I think is really fascinating. I, he is okay. This is going to sound really bizarre, but stay with me. I think he and Tom Petty are twins and the way they write songs because they both have this incredible ability to take the simplest. They keep going simpler, 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 simpler until what they have found is a diamond. They literally just beat the thing to death until all they bring in. It's in it's with Tom and bill both. They there's just no fat. And I mean, literally, literally, literally no fat. I, I and yeah, no, no, Karen, yeah, it is. It blows my mind. I, I was looking to, you know, those ain't a sunshine. Grandma's hands and use me are really big ones of his. Um, even lovely day because when I wake up in the morning, you kind of it's sort of verse pre and and then the line. A lovely day, lovely that's day. Right. Yeah, that's right. So you got yeah. When I wake up in the morning, the sunlight hits my eyes, and then it goes when I look at you, and he's sort of on the same thing. Yeah, but it is a pretty. I appreciate it's. It's. I, I would say that the verse and that are slightly different. And then you just got a lovely day. And yeah, that's it. It's the chorus, I guess, but it's one line. Yeah, it's one line, and it's the he, same. Man, yeah. that is fat. That I'm going to think about that a lot today. And he does it a lot. Like you know, I've tried to name his like his hits, as it were, because I think it's phenomenal that they're such enormous songs. And, you know, people talk about three chords and the truth. Often he's two chords and the truth. That's right. That's right. But like. um yeah, I, I, he's got all sorts of other. He's got a beautiful song called "Hope She'll Be Happier." You know that one? Maybe in the lateness of the hour. And it, it, so does uh, makes me feel bluer than I am. In my heart, there's a shower. Hope she'll be happier within. That's what it does. Yeah. And then there's the second section. I can't believe that she really did leave me. It's two sections. I mean, it's a lesser known, but it's a beautiful That's ballad. That's crazy. You know, I, I do think, you know, with him, I always wonder because, you know, he had this other career until he was, his yeah. stats are crazy. If you mm. look at what that guy did, he was only in the game, I, I think, for 11 years, 10 yeah, years. something nuts. Yeah. And then he was just like, I'm out. See ya. But um, I think there was something about his, like, his simplicity, which I think may have just be the, been the end of what he knew he could even do. 
that he was like, I, I, I can function well within these couple of walls yeah, and get done what I need to get done. Um, I also think with him, man, I, you know, I talked about this. I did a, a five hot takes with a good friend of mm. mine, John McLaughlin and John and I were talking about, I, I can't, I can't tell you how much in my opinion, the, someone's voice is doing the lion's share of the work in a lot of artistry. And, and it yeah. sounds, and it sounds ridiculous, but I think he is, he is an archetype of that for me because his voice just, it did so much work. It Those really songs did. are amazing on their own. They, yeah. they stand the test time, but when paired with his voice, you just, it's like it, ju- you don't care that there's not some, cause it's communicating. Yeah. You're tired. I'm, I'm good. I like, by the end of the song, I'm like, you have given me what I need. Yeah. I feel it. I feel everything you're trying to communicate. And I think that's something that's a real gift of his is that you don't need these little tricks and tropes because yeah. he's, he's able to get what he needs done just by singing in those, like you said, those two sections, you know, but the, the acceptance, um, cause this, I'm sure you've seen still bill the movie mm-hmm. and, it, and, and I, really we should just point people in that direction. Cause we could go off on all the different great quotes from that and they are wonderful. But, um, and he talks about this as well, but I just want to sort of nod towards it. The acceptance uh, that he has for this might be it, I, you know. Yes. This might be me. This that might, I, he wrote. He wrote. I don't know about the chronological order. I, I forget. But you know, uh, he wrote "Ain't No Sunshine." Grandma's hands use me, lean on me. Uh, a lovely day. But three, um, uh, you know, three songs into that five, he was saying to himself, like he was two songs into that five or four songs into that five, he was saying to himself, "Well, this might be it, and I'm fine with that yeah, because I've right. I've given this the best I can." And he and I've refined it, and I've sort of shredded it down to the most lean diamond, as you say, um, to the most sort of shiny diamond. But you know, I would I would also say and, they could. I haven't done this in a hot take yet, but I, I I stand by this. If you gave me five slots for songs to send to into the ether to aliens or to some other, you know, uh, uh, life form yeah. to say this is what music is. Mm. Lean on me is in those top five. It has to be a, a, as a it's like the completely perfect, incredibly simple and profound, insanely memorable, and emotionally completely effective. I don't. I mean, it, it is. It it would take. I'd need a lot of time to sit and even think about what the other four are. But I tell you sure. for sure that one's in there. It, so these, the, the, the expression of uh, <laughs> he's he's captured. This is he. If, if if aliens went, what's this? Uh, what's this humanity that you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, I right. go, oh, humanity. Let me play you this song. This is what that's humanity right. is all right. about. That's this is right. this is what it is. You listen to this song and the sentiment. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll, I'll help you carry on. Oh, that's what you humans are about. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what that's I want. That's what I want to show the aliens. Yes, and I think too is 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 you know if you've played piano at all, it's 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 one of the you realize the incredible simplicity of that song. I, I mean, and I the, think the, that's yeah. the magic is that your five-year-old can sit down and go, do 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 you know, and, and, and yet just what he does with that. And the fact that he, you got to think that when he wrote that song, he was like, surely somebody's done this. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. He must've looking, looking through all of Paul McCartney's like, he's like, Paul's got to have done this at some point. Surely. But um, oh man, right. okay. I, I, t- t- all right, hot take number two. Hot take two. Kind of a brief one. It, it's it's going to fly by a little bit, but I'm curious to see how you feel. 
Um, there's this theory. Mm, it's not a theory. I've just recognized it. I've recognized it in this song, and I wonder, I'll set you this homework for later on, if there are other songs where it happens. Bruce Springsteen is born in the USA, which is one of my earliest musical memories, actually. Yes. I, yeah. I, my dad was yep. such a big Bruce Springsteen fan. And I don't know if I can play this melody on the guitar, but I'll, I'll sort of half sing it, and you know it. But it goes, so it, it opens. Ba, 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 ba. Those are the notes. And then he goes, born down in a dead man's town. Uh, first kick I took was when I hit the ground. Uh, and he carries on. And then he goes, born in the USA. Massive song. He's same notes. It's always the same notes. And he nev- it, it, never, it never goes anywhere else. It never goes Holy to like, cow. it never goes, if it's there, da, 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 it never goes, well, it does, but like that's sort of, that's all part of this chord sequence. He just, it's like the one, it's like the one melody rule or something. He just goes, it's, it's the, it's the synth intro. You get it three times. And that's <laughs> you get the, the synth intro, the verse and the chorus. Dude, I've never thought about that, James. And, but that's the song. Everything else, with all respect, and it's one of my favorite songs ever, is a sort of great ad lib. Like later on, he's going, ah, he's going like, ah, he's doing this sort of semitone yeah, wobble. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he goes, born down in a dead man's town. First, kick it to and hit the ground. Yeah, he goes, ground. You know, he sort of paints around the main theme. But, but it's, it's absolutely it's what melody. it's built on. It's that melody. Da, 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 da. He loved that so much when he went. He's like, that's that's. That you know so- what I think is so fascinating about that is that if it was any other title, <laughs> I don't know if it works. But because that title is so substantial, I think something about the time as well. I, I haven't like yes, I haven't like been diving into the sort of history of the the country, the America or the world at that time. But like he just, it was a moment in sort of American blue collar history, if not further than that. Right. And he could go born in the USA. And despite what the lyrics are saying and what the song is about in all of its sort of, it's an interesting, what he says and how he says it. But like, it sort of makes me think about Hosea's take to church as well. Um, oh yeah. Although it's, uh, it was a difficult subject matter for, for him writing it. Um, this moment in a, in a song where so soulfully and, and um, sort of elatedly, People can go take me to church. Like it's it's got its power in its own way. Yeah, and people don't have to care what the song's about. Same with Born yeah. in the USA. It's just a sort of great patriotic. Which song. both of those songs actually mean different than what you think they do. Exactly, that's the point. Which Sorry, is, that, which, yeah. is, which is genius. So so okay, let's let's oh, let's one melody there. That, that sort of that that that. Now you've done this thing where I'm going to be obsessed finding other songs that I, do that, I, it's, and it's, I bet that's really hard. It's very hard, and uh, the one that I almost thought got away with it that kind of doesn't, but it, in, it interested me, was um, uh, that one, um, Your love is lifting me higher oh, than yeah. I've ever been lifted before. Didn't I turn to my desire? I'll be at your side evermore. Your love. What was it? Your love keeps lifting me. Yes, I don't know. It was close. You can cut. Well, you know the thing that's crazy about that. There, there. I think there are probably the first place I would look is Motown songs. Yeah, yeah. There were there were a good bit of those that kind of did sort of a similar thing where they would sort of stay on the same melody and then all of a sudden it's a chorus again. But I think some of the magic of how people pull that off is if you start the song with the chorus. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because then you know the melody, and then when you yeah. hear it again, it feels like a chorus. But that's what blew me away about 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 Springsteen is it's it's this it's this great instrumental intro on a synth, um, and then it's the verse melody down a register or a couple you know octaves, and then he goes born in the USA. Ba, 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 ba. It's the same. It's the same thing to the to the layman's ear. It's just God, like that's crazy. I like okay, to say, me- go on, you go. Well, let me let me ask you this. So, so I want to I want to I want to backtrack a little bit because I, I sprinkle in personal questions. That's what please, we're here. please. So it. so you are obviously a really good guitar player. Like like I'm and, and and um how so it, when you write songs and something that I think is so cool about your albums is you if you know the them at all you know that you play well because mm. when you, you can hear you playing, but also I think it, it, uh, you see your hand pretty quickly that so many of your songs are instrument hook heavy. I, I, do you know what I mean? You're no, not I just do. going like, I Hey, do. let's kick into the song and we're in. They no, all have, I, I, yeah, I like, I suppose it's how, here's the best way to talk about it up until almost like signing a record deal. I was like singing and writing songs and, and playing guitar, uh, singing and writing songs was one thing. Playing guitar was separate. Yeah. Um, and my, the reason why you hear what you hear in my music is because since sort of signing a record deal, my quest has been to sort of fuse the two, but make it for everyone. That's great. Because, That's because, great. because before that you've got me as noodly guitar player who wants to sort of riff and sort of solo and all of that <laughs> stuff and, and, you know, be way too much. And you got me as, as as songwriter trying to write um, songs for that that mean something to me, but hopefully are for everyone. Um, I want to get the guitar playing element to be for everyone because that's those said. those are the biggest said. those are the biggest guitar riffs moments in music, like in in the history of music. Um, you know, so uh, which is funny because if Layla is your gateway drug, you, you're you're doing what that does. It's what it's interesting. Yeah, sure, I am. And and what's interesting about Layla is it's one of the most guitar playery pop songs. That's right. Um, but uh, you know, um, that's what uh, I get interested by. That one interests me. Satisfaction by the Stones. Uh, it's so singable. All the best guitar parts are singable. Yeah. Smoke on yeah, the water. Yeah. Smoke on the water yeah. is the same. Um. So I'm just trying to, the, the reason you hear that stuff in my music is because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make all the guitar playing or guitar parts as relevant as the song is or the lyric. Well, the for what it's worth, I think you do it really well. Thanks, do, man. Do you, do you feel like it, it, as you're writing the song, is that something that's happening as you write it or is that a retro, like you kind of have the song and go, <sighs> okay, how can I? It, it varies. <laughs> it varies. I remember, uh, one of my good friends and a fantastic songwriter called Ian Archer, who I wrote Hold Back the River with. Um, we, and he's a great guitar player as well. He's Irish. Uh, and then he kind of comes from a very instrumental, uh, like upbringing mm-hmm, background. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would sit around typically, we've written lots of songs. We wrote three songs for my first record called one called craving another called best fake smile. Mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. and then uh, Hold Back the river. And we would sit around for that first record, Hold Back the river was the last one we wrote together. Yep. Um, which has such a distinctive part. Yeah. That, well, that, that, that's the thing. I, and then the nice thing about it is I'm trying to apply. I've come from doing things sort of all on my own when I'm sort of being me as an artist, I, I, me and a guitar is how it all started. So I'm always, I've always got that at the front of my mind. You know, we all as songwriters want it to sound great on one instrument with one voice. Um, but we were, we sat around for hours as we would always do and sort of talk and hang out and be musical and play, play stuff. 
And it, it was funny how that just came because we tried chord stuff all day and I always want it to be more guitar riffy than just chords. And this, you know, just sort of landed between those two things as a riff, but you know, chords, E minor, it's in a different key, but I'll, I'll call it out like this. E minor, uh, essentially F sharp minor, G, B minor up to C. Which sound, by the way, like that sounds gorgeous. Doesn't Thanks, it? man. But you you can think about it as as chords, and you can, but you can also, from a guitar playing perspective and like a finger picking perspective, look at it as as a riff. Right. And and I, I and that's what what I want to do basically. Yeah. So I so I so we settled for that also because we love the sound of it and it felt hooky. And hey, if a guitar part can be hooky, um, then I'm I'm keeping it. You know. Well, and you know that that's that's to me that's you know so always such an interesting trick when you're writing songs, um, for, with and for other people is like that's how my brain works too. You know, mm. I, I think I think both of our coming yeah. up when you're a guy with a guitar, yeah, you're kind of going like, how do I keep people interested in the middle when I'm not singing? Yeah, you know, yeah. and you know, just yeah. throw as much as you can at the wall, and that's one of the things you throw. But yeah. I think it's interesting. It, it kind of it makes me sad sometimes that you get in a room and you can rock through these songs, and you may get a great song, but there's kind of there's not somebody in there because if the artist in there, especially, or even sometimes you get the artist, but they're not going. Hold on, let me. There's no there's no happier moment to me in a writing room than when you're writing with an artist and they go, hold on, let me. How would I play this? How can and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. now this is I love this moment. It because, gets you know, it comes and it gets to another degree of real. And, yes. um, and what we want to put out there, and actually what people want to hear is the realist stuff. Uh, right. to, to phrase it one way, there's better, there's deeper and sort of more in depth ways to phrase that. But we want it to be real. Um, and you know, you, you obviously we're always trying to keep it simple and not sort of coat too much other sort of sound and noise around it, but. Yeah, you know, I, I am. I'm always. I'm, I am a guitar player from the start. And um, as far as writing, I, one of the one of the other ways I write is I go to the piano, which I'm much less good at. I'm not really very good at it, and that's the thing I love um, yeah. about writing on it because I just stumble across things. Right. But right. then uh, some of the best guitar writing that we've he heard um, uh, are from so are songs from players and, and singers who might not technically be the best guitar player in the world, right. but they are dripping and oozing with like a vibe and like emotion and atmosphere. And that's where I always love the story that Caleb Followell from Kings of Leon, what did he do? He had a broken arm. His right arm was sort of fixed around the elbow in a right, in a right angle. So he, uh, his left arm, sorry. So he couldn't move it up and down the guitar neck. It had to stay around the sort of ninth to the 12th fret. <laughs> So he could. Oh wow! So he could only be there, and he had sex on fire. That is so cool. And then he stays up here. Yeah. He plays an E chord, a classic E chord, but over the 12th fret. Well, the sort of 13th, 14th fret, rather than down in the normal position. Right, right, right. You can see right now, like my left arm, it's not moving around. It yes, can't. It's, it's staying the same. And so technically, he's not like he's not uh, Pat Metheny. He's not like right, right, know, right, right, but, right. But it doesn't matter. He's written. So, well, he's it's such an iconic part. Like, exactly. He's a cool guitar affect. player. He's a cool guitar player writing a great song. Yeah, you know that's amazing. And I'll say too quickly before we move on to your third. Yeah, I, I think people again that don't play instruments, what you're doing, um, like seeing you at the Ryman. Hmm. Anytime a singer, a lead singer is playing any lead parts at all, 
there it is mechanically so hard to do. Absolutely. Like I, I think that 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 so when I was touring on my first record or yeah, first record on Rage and Tie the Slave Laws on New York, I toured as a three piece. Sweet. And so there was some pretty heavy guitar stuff in there. I'd play on the record, but not while I was singing. No, no. And I'll never forget like having to put together a rig and running those songs first couple of times. And I was like, there's no way I can do this. Just, just physically. I don't mean play just mechanically hitting the pedal at the right time, unhitting change into distortion singing. It's like people, that is a very undervalued skill set. I will say uh, watching Ed, in, in stadiums in front of 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people a night doing the things he's doing with his feet is, is very exciting to see. And the muscle memory that, that he's got it down to when it comes time to do the shows is such a huge part of the art. But just to nod to um, someone from a bit further back, uh, to shed light on this because it's not always known, um, the greatest singer of all time, Aretha Franklin, was one of the greatest mm. piano players, incredible keys players out there. And actually, Donny Hathaway is a great example as well. Yep. Someone who's yep. less known, and yep. of course, Stevie yep. Wonder is known for being great singer, great keys player, a great instrumentalist. He plays Stevie yeah. Wonder plays everything brilliantly. But uh, let's just consider what Aretha Franklin had always was able to do with her voice, and then know that when I think when she did the Bridge Over Troubled Water cover, one of the finest things I've ever heard, she was playing all that piano. I forget if it's Rhodes or piano, but she's incredible. doing all that. Incredible. So yeah, that's um, something. It's funny if you ever see an interview with with people that knew her. What they always feel like they have to say that, which I love. I think so yeah. many people are like, people don't understand how good she was at playing piano because I think it was such an underrated. You know, okay. Last thing I promise. I remember talking <laughs> to, to Mayor John had me come play on one of his. Um, uh, he had this thing called the Mayor Craft Carry. It was like, oh yeah, this, this cruise thing. I heard so it, I went yeah. and played, and we were hanging, uh, and we were talking about this. We were talking about playing and how do you navigate that. And and I and I thought because I asked him, I was like, man, do you feel like I need to really lean into the guitar more? And he's like, man, here's the thing. One of the greatest artists and guitar players of all time is Jeff Buckley. And he mm. said my opinion, and he, I guarantee you, he couldn't have ripped a solo to save his life. <laughs> well, that, and I was like, you know, that's a cool way to think about that. You that, know, is that, that you don't have to be. You know, but you can still create these incredible. There's a degrees of technically accomplished that sure we can all get to. But what we're trying to say is in, in, in the, in the kind of world life and almost the business of great songs, you don't have to be those things. You don't have to that's be right. technically, right. you sort that's of don't right. have to be technically anything. Right. Um, uh, and that's the beauty of, of all of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, hot take three, James, bring it to us. Hot take three. Numero three. Here we go. I want, this is, um, let's, I feel like I'm going back here. I'm going back to loads of old stuff and I don't always. So, cause I no, got a few, no. I, I got a few to go, but yeah. you will appreciate as a, as a, as a fellow songwriter, um, in the 21st century, particularly. And I really hope all the songwriters today who've been working for years or maybe weeks, yeah. um, this one. So Christine V famous, um, for her work for, uh, with Fleetwood Mac, yep. uh, among other things. And famous for writing some absolute bangers, wrote a song. So there was a great on the over here in the UK on the BBC. There was a really fantastic. Sometime in the last year, there was a fantastic documentary about Christine McVie, not about Fleetwood Mac, but about just Christine her. herself. Yeah, just her. So I, I plucked this story from that because it's a it's a it's a fantastically hot take. She wrote a song uh, called Songbird, which oh, yeah. is on Rumors, yep. which is one of the most stunning ballads of all Beautiful. time. She tells this story. Um, about how 
I, th- I think she was in California and she woke up in the middle of the night. It was something like three, somewhere between three and six in the morning. And this idea came to her. So she walked over to her piano, but she had no room. And she said the song just came out right there and then. And it's like a two and a half minute song, I think, or like a three minute song. And it just came out. It all came to me. It was one of those moments. And the songwriters, we, we love these stories when we hear about yeah. these moments where the song drops into your lap and it's gorgeous. Then she realized the, the time of night that it was. So she called the, rec- she called the lo- most local studio and nobody answered. And then eventually she got through and they said, yeah, I mean, we don't open till like 9 a.m. at the earliest. She said, but I need to, uh, I've got this song, I need to get it down. She said, okay, well, the person on the phone said, okay, well, when the studio opens, you can come put it down. So she spent the best part of six hours holding on to uh, one of the greatest songs I think ever written. And let's just appreciate, my hot take really is, let's just appreciate the lack of iPhone voice notes, the lack of a, a portable dictaphone, the lack of anything that would record that anything. Incredible. And it's one of those moments in the history, and there's, um, there must be so many of them, where, you know, there's a story about Keith Richards uh, recording. He had yeah. a little tape recorder in yeah. his room, so he got it in the middle of the night, and he doesn't remember it, and he heard it the next day. She didn't have one of those with her at the time. It was like 1970-something. So she just remembered the song. She played it over and over again. She was exhausted the next day. But the thing that mattered the most was that stunning song. song, And she got the song. Don't you wonder how many songs didn't get remembered? I'm terrified. It terrifies me. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it terrifies me. That like they just got lost in the ether. Like, you know, James Taylor woke, Stevie Wonder woke up in the middle of the night and had this great idea. And then woke up in the morning. He's like, dead. Oh, uh, you must have had this. And I'm sure all those guys did too. And I've had it from time to time. I'm dreaming the greatest song idea I've ever come up with. Sometimes oh, yes. I'm lucky enough to remember it when I'm conscious and it's nowhere near as good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nowhere near. You know, there, there, there's this this one, you know, Lenny Kravitz, Are You Gonna Go My Way was one of those songs. He wow. woke up in the middle of the night um, and I think may have written it, like just wrote it and, you know, like did wow. it and went back to sleep. But it's crazy, like, you know, again, for the non-muso people out there, that's a very, in fact, I, I'm I'm not just saying this, but I think I, I, I'm i 90% sure I dreamed a song last night now that you're saying that. Oh, no. Like, um, she she talks about, uh, sorry to, to interrupt, she just, she talks about how the song will have, might have, and will have, you know, changed slightly as she spent the best part of six hours playing it round and remembering it. But look at what we got. Look oh. at, listen to the song that we got. Like for all of that and what the what the first iteration of it was. Wow! Thank God that she you know she played it round. You and I talked about this in that at that breakfast about yeah. her. She she is. Listen, Fleetwood Mac is a is a diesel engine of Ugh. incredibleness. Mm. But to me, uh, you she is because she you know I think because of the personalities, mm. she's just rarely talked about because the other ones are so much more fascinating as people Hmm. but she to me was the pop song assassin yeah for for all of for all of you know um for all of uh either one of the other Hmm. she of the third of that triad power of triad triad of power (laughs) she those those albums just needed what she did because uh, there was there was Lindsay's really cool, quirky, awesome guitar, cool, whatever. And then you had Stevie's really artsy, bizarre. She was that middle to the band. She was like, okay, we have Rihanna and, and we have, you know, like, uh, go your own way. Both these great. Now, let me just softball. I'm just yeah. going to chuck the easiest little yeah. that you can hit every time. Yeah. 
She was she a that. ninja. She did that. She did. I want to be with you everywhere. Um, oh my gosh. Hold oh, or, uh, 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 I mean, what is that song? Uh, uh, Oh man, I, I can't start this game because I'm just not <laughs> seeing every chorus. It's sort, she of, it's, it's sort of in my head as well. What did she do? I want to be with you. Uh, hold on me. What is that? Hold on me. Hold on, hold on me. Be doom, doom, doom. I think that was a solo song of her. We'll it's, get them. We'll, we'll get them. We'll get them. They're all there. And she, and she, yeah, she's like, it's like, it's almost like, uh, I mean, arguably, yeah, these two are equals. Her and George Harrison sit in the biggest bands of all time. And then they just sort of roll out these massive songs. After, oh, yeah. after the sort of supposed big songwriters in the band are sort of done doing their thing. Yeah, that's right. And then they come out with these juggernauts. And like, which, which to me, one of the, the, we'll move this quickly. One of the most slept on songs of all time is George Harrison's. Um, what's the solo hit he had? Uh, uh, oh, uh, um, yeah. Got my mindset. Oh my gosh. You. Are you kidding me? That song. After this, go into the internet, the great deep and wild and, and, and wonderful internet and, and check out, I think it's a cover. What? I we're on a computer right now. Is we're that just, a cover? Are you about to break my heart? It's okay I if it I, is. Don't, I don't want to break your heart. I, I don't. The thing is, I don't want to break anyone's heart. Got my mind. I don't want to break anybody's heart. Give me the Wikipedia page, please. Come on. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Give me the Wikipedia. George Harrison in 1987 released a cover version. Of I've oh, got my mind set on you. Look at you. Look at you. Originally recorded by James Ray in 1962. We still love George. Hey, There's no that question. Has nothing to do with our affection for the man. We still have affection, but boy, did he absolutely crush that Murdered record. that it song. Sounds it inc- is so good. That is an early, I wasn't alive when that song came out, but it's an early memory for me. I just, it was on like, oh, what a song. Every every radio station that my parents listened to, they, they played that song. Oh, oh that precious Oh, yeah. God. On the okay. later on, to do it, to do it, do to it, do, it, to do, do it, it, to do it, yeah. To do it, right. Oh All my right. gosh, that song. All right, come on. Hot take four. Numero four. I'll stop doing numero. Number four. I like that. Um, okay, number four is an interesting one. This is a, I feel like this is like a confession, or maybe it's just a something you didn't know about me. Um, nine out of ten songs written by anyone will have the word baby as a term of affection. That's fine. Okay. I've never done that. Have you never? I've never done it. And I'll tell you this, I don't I just don't I don't think I can pull it off. <laughs> I've never done it. The <laughs> I, I made a joke about my myself one time where you should call my songs in nursery for how many babies they have in them. <laughs> like I literally, I use that word to, to such, uh, uh, to such frequency that I'll, I'll have moments where I'm like, Dave, you can't, it's become a stopgap. I just chuck it in when I need two syllables. The, the weirdest thing is I'll cover a song with it in and I'll sing it. I'll cover someone's song and I'll sing the word if it's in there. Even if it's like an ad lib on the recording of that person's song and I'm doing a version like that. But I don't, the closest I've ever gotten is I wrote the word maybe with an M and people sometimes sing that back and think it's the word baby. Which you'd think with a song like uh, Move Together. That's exactly, that's the place. That's the place. That's where you're going to do it. It goes, it goes, it goes. (laughs) Maybe don't give me call. Wait, I've got the wrong melody. It goes. Maybe don't give me 
cold, cold shoulder. But everybody in the crowd, I watch them go, baby, don't. And I'm like, you, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, you guys can have that. That's all. Yeah, that's all yours. I, I, and I'm, Wait, and I'm they can get away with it. I tell just can't me how it. you realize that. What just, made you realize that? I, I. Every time I'm a particular, I guess one of the biggest ones, uh, the thing that made me realize it is in co-writing scenarios, people are like, like deep into what we're doing and we're all loving it. And they're like, I've got it. And they've got a lyric that they think sort of really works. And it probably 99% of the time does. And I guess they think it suits me too. Cause this is in moments when we're writing songs that, are, that I'm going to use. And they go, you should say this. And I've had to confess it sometimes. <laughs> and they've very politely gone. Yeah, that's not you. You know what? We'll keep going. <laughs> I don't know why, man. It's so bizarre. Do you I, feel like you're on a streak you don't want to break at this point? Maybe, yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like, oh, I don't know. You've it's done it this long. If you and I ever get to write together, that is going to be, it won't work because I will subliminally offer one every three because that is, you don't know how many times I've used. I'm You and I are the antithesis of each other. Like we stand on the, on the opposite ends of that <laughs> hold way. Hold the balance. Yeah, yeah, we hold it. <laughs> so if you, if you use one or I don't, it's going to get I, I don't know. I don't know why I just, and it, I, sometimes I think it's sort of a British thing, but it's not because there's a billion people in this country who use it affectionately yeah. and it's fine. I just, I just don't. And I just thought there's a great curveball for the five yeah. takes and something yeah. that nobody knew. Yeah. Yeah. So, so before we end on your fifth one, I want to ask this question because we kind of, we kind of talked about this earlier, but it, but if, if I'm, if I'm making James Bay out of musical soup, right. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I'm, what are the ingredients in there? Who are the artists that have come that you are the great sort of like culmination of, you know, what are the the influences? This is, that's a, it's an interesting question in a way, because I like how potentially the the ingredients won't make sense to people as far as what we're saying. That's they, why I love they, this question. They create, I love this like, question. Yeah, I think um, as far as what really like absolutely kind of turned me on and inspired me to go forward and be musical, it's um, Aretha Franklin standalone, all on her own for anything wow. she's done. I adore it. Um, so that music, and then a kind of a, a wider collection of sort of Motown and Stax. Um, uh, would be the sort of second ingredient, and then which I can hear in your singing, by the way. Thanks, man. No, I, and, and I don't mind if people that can't. makes a lot of it's, sense. It's just so there that I can't not say it. In this, as far as it, 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 you know, I remember little cassettes of James Brown and stuff that my mum, my mum had, and, and we play them in the car, and they just blew my mind. Um, so that really kind of rock and roll, typically, and by rock and roll, I'll sort of say anything that does this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I just so a- anything that does that. So I go from yeah. Chuck, go from Chuck Berry or just before, all the way through, kind of past Springsteen, yeah. somewhere in the '90s when it all got really quite old doing that kind of thing. But right. I still I still adored it. So that then, um, then so that's two. That's sort of three ingredients: Aretha, broader sort of Motown stack soul, um, rock and roll in in most forms. Um, I just had another, and what was it? It was, it's sort of the seventies Laurel Canyon singer songwriter. Oh yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and into that, I'll, I'll I'll include, you know, in that little sort of um, herb bag, the herbs include. Yep, yep. Uh, just harmonies, just the great harmony, mm. harmony moments that came from anyone from sort of the Eagles to James Taylor, Carol King, um, even the way that jo- uh, Elton John was involved. So that's that sort of general sound. 
then uh, the sort of fourth one is kind of pop uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. So sort of Adele, um, that really sort of British ultra cool, yep. um, sort of you can't really argue with it kind of, it's sort of Adele, Amy Winehouse, uh, there's a guy, Paolo Nettini, who I adore. Oh, I love his stuff. His his stuff always gets me. Ben Howard is as an album by a guy called Ben Howard. The album's mm-hmm. called Every I know Kingdom. That album. Yep. Every Kingdom is crazy. So that sort of thing, and then just like hard left stuff, like uh, Feist. Uh, she has a record called Metal. Yeah. Metals is amazing. That one like kills me. Um, there's a there's a there's a this is more recent, but like Margaret Glaspie is an artist who's, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's traditional songwriting and I adore it for that, but like she's coming from that kind of place as well. Uh, and there's much older stuff, I guess really you'd say Jeff Buckley, uh, Grace and like things going back before that, that's kind of left, but, but brilliant regardless. Even some of the like Pink Floyd stuff. I know there's like big choruses and great titles and lines that people sing, but it's like, it's out there at the same time. So yeah. there's spritz of something quite out there kind of lands me at where I am. You know what I love about that um, is one, the diversity of it all, which I think is always that, that you said it well, right after I asked the question. And it's why I love the question is because so much stuff gets unearthed that, that to the naked eye, you, you, do, you know, sure. like, you'd be, Oh my gosh. But then a lot of times retrospectively, yeah, you can listen to stuff and go, Oh my gosh. Like I'm actually hearing somebody oh, said, I, I, yeah, I love that about the sort of, the, about the answer to that question. And like, if people know their stuff, then they'll appreciate that. Like, for example, Dinah Washington and Amy Winehouse go together. But the first yeah. time I heard Dinah Washington sing was probably after I'd heard like consciously, cause my parents might've played that kind of stuff, but consciously it was after I'd listened to Amy Winehouse and I went, Oh, Oh, Amy Winehouse is just trying to sound like one of her heroes, Dinah Washington. Now right. I get it. And, and I didn't really know about Dinah Washington. And then I'm like, and it all adds up, but I didn't yeah. see it beforehand. So it's well, love- too, uh, the, the other thing that I, I, I respect about that is that you have recent, there's people that aren't, it's not all just, you know, stuff you grew up with that oh, you yeah, still so listening. To. In that respect as well, it's around Frank Ocean and Chance the Rapper. And there's a great artist called No Name. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, those guys. And that, that those, they come after something like, for example, Alicia Keys or even the hits of, of Destiny's Child and that music collectively being more recent pop from sort of 2000 to now, really, that's the, that's the sort of add on. That's the, one of the most recent ones for me that goes into the answer to your question that, that I can't deny because it goes back as far as Alicia, for example, but it's still as recent and as, and as um, vibrant as in, in me as, as Chance or, or Frank Ocean. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that I think um, for as much as I lament the, um, the you know, streaming services and what they're doing, sadly, to, you know, our income and how that's a whole tricky hard. I was actually reading an article this morning um, about how, you know, they're trying to take more money away and from songwriters. It's just it's a nightmare. But I will say this. One of the best things to me about Spotify is that it introduces me to so much mm. new music mm-hmm. and I have been so, I mean, if, if I can attribute anything to being able to still write music 20 something years into this, it's because I just have so much more music coming in. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. such a good job of that. You know, it, it, it makes me think, uh, so Ian, who I wrote hold back the river and many other songs with, um, typically he's a fan of all sorts of great music. Uh, Jeff Buckley is one that, and that grace record is, is a, is a real, um, moment for him in, over all the years. He loves it. And I remember him telling me, you know, people didn't know 
about that album. They didn't know about that music very well. And very sadly, the guy died. And then it was talked about again. And it just, in a couple of magazines, and there was a couple of sort of long form, what is this, like 1998 or something, 97? There's a couple of long form pieces of journalism where they got a bit more in depth. And the likes of Ian went back to that music. And then gradually over time, it became enormous. But that was not a time when, you know, it was constantly served to us on a Spotify and an Apple right, music right, and a right. couple of other things. So, yeah, you weren't going to get access to music in the same way that we do now. So it's awesome that in that respect, as you're saying, that we get the music. Um, yeah, yeah. Like and that there's still so much great stuff coming out. Okay, yeah. so here we go. Big five. I've gone slightly in reverse here. Number five. Hot take five. I like number five. Um, and it references, it. well, not it references. I like number five because it speaks to uh, a, a, a musician in me that, that I don't uh, choose to sort of let out um, publicly and professionally. Um, and, and I don't put this person at the front of things as much as uh, my sort of 16-year-old self would like to. So here it is. <laughs> I'm going to say it, right? Overplaying sometimes is fantastic. Yeah, I know that. I know that's. I know that's. <laughs> I know it's wild, but go with me. Layla by Eric Clapton, and I can't yeah. like give you. I haven't got enough hands and guitars at the same time to give you this. But just go and listen to the verses. There's somebody, and it's probably Eric himself on the ne- on a second track, playing a solo under the verse vocal <laughs> the whole time. So it goes, you know, uh, and it goes. And it's like, brown, it is brown. And oh, he's going, he's going. So I, I wish I'd set that up in a better way, but there's all this overplaying going on in that record that actually just like massively adds to the atmosphere. So much. And, and the it, energy. And it is straight up somebody playing a guitar solo over somebody else singing a verse. <laughs> They're singing the verse. And I'm like, what? And obviously typically these days, someone in the studio is going, or even after when we've sort of, someone's listened to the first bounce of an MP3 of a track, everyone's going, yeah, just sort of mute the overplaying with Tarno Link and we're, and we're good. Uh, Eric and the gang, and it was like Tom Dowd, who's one of the most fantastic producers in, in the history of music, was sat there going, yeah, overplay, it's beautiful. Yeah, so, yeah do whatever you want. So that, and there's a moment in, um, I love David Bowie's uh, Young Americans, one of my favourite albums. Mm. Um, towards the end of the record, he does a cover of John Lennon's Across the Universe, which is a Beatles track. Yeah, just going on the drum fills at the back of that. They're going like nothing's gonna change it, and then nothing's gonna boom. Nothing's gonna nothing's gonna change my world. They are slickest, coolest, tightest, most fantastic drum fills that like some. I feel like everybody in the room plowed forward with the performance of the song, but they're just looking out the corner of their eye at the drummer, going, "Cool it down." <laughs> or he's or like, or he's like, no, this is me. I'm going. Or they're like. God, he's killing it. I hope so. I hope yeah, they're all just drinking the Kool-Aid. Why do you think, think that is? What, t- tell me, why do you think that that happened and, and why did they get away with it? I, I'm not sure, but it's it's got something to do with, in a, in a weird way, what happened at the towards the end of the 90s and through the first 10 years of the 21st century. Hmm. Everybody sort of, in the, in the process of making music from songwriter all the way through to sort of A&R guy or whatever, they changed their mind about the sort of the process and the ingredients in a quite a big way. Uh, I, I hate to say it, but I think in many ways, minds closed rather than mm. opened um, mm. to all sorts of options because there are great, beautiful examples 
Bill Withers being a brilliant one, of music um, that, you know, older or that came out earlier than that Clapton record or that David Bowie record that are super simple. Yeah. Um, so we knew how to do the simple thing. Sometime in the 70s, the 80s, or maybe even the 60s, people got a bit more okay about what I'm calling overplaying. But like, I was listening to Voodoo the other day, the D'Angelo record. Oh my gosh. And it's not that it's like overplaying, but that that record is so legendary and kind of a, a iconic. And it's it'll, it'll baffle you and me as kind of more typical songwriters forever because someone's just going, no, no, we're good. Just do that, like vamp on that chord a little longer. It's good. And they're just allowing for something so free and so open. But now and again, it reaches the masses like Layla did, like Bowie could, and like D'Angelo did, you know. And so that, that's why I'm trying to say my sort of hot take is once in a while, we should allow for a little overplaying and just work on the mix. I don't know. Just like, you know. You know, and, and, and I do wonder, like, you know, I think uh, I, I wonder if it's a cocktail of a couple things. One, it's Eric Clapton. So are you about to go tell Eric Clapton to stop playing? Sure, sure. But I think too, it's Eric Clapton going. Look, I gotta, I gotta, um, I gotta live up to my hype. Mm, mm. You know, and I think so. I can't help but wonder. And I mean, I, I said this in a hot take on a previous episode, mm. there's these double strums and rocket man. Oh yeah. Yeah. But there was just this bravado yes. it, 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 for so long in the studio before people knew what they were doing. Cause, cause to your point and you nailed this, James, you have guys like Mutt Lang who around the same time were like, no, you're not. Yeah. You will absolutely not do that. Right. I want six tracks. Yeah. If you, if I throw all the drums on one, you know, assuming that's the asterisk there. So drums are just one track. I don't want any more than that. So, eh, you know, because that guy could have, you know, Angus could have yeah, ripped all of it. But, but, you know, so you had producers at the same time who were not doing that. But I think so much of the 70s and, and you know, the 80s, too, but I think really the 70s, there was just this like, get in there and let's rock it. And if yeah. you want feel you it out, play, right? yeah, just feel it out. Yeah. Uh, it's you know? very true. And it, I just, I don't know, all I'm trying to be, because look, nine out of 10 times, I'm okay with there being less overplaying, but I think that one out of ten times sort of moment is is valid and important. If it if it right. if there's if if it feels good, I was going to say if it's right, but that's not it. If it feels good, if mm. it feels good, follow it. Um, yeah. you, can, you know, these days we can do all sorts to it later. You know, they didn't have those. You know, they had to delete things so that they'd never get back once upon a time. Um, but you know, I just I don't know. I, and I typically am not. You know trying to do it in my music. And sometimes I am, and I, you know, even live, I, I kind of, I MD, I sort of direct my band myself and understandably lots of people have an MD who's sort of separate. The artist has a sort of separate MD. I run it myself. And yeah, I like to sort of say to the guys sometimes, just go, go all the way to the top of the mountain and then jump off, like go. And they're, sometimes they'll go really. And I'm going, yeah, like, it, it, you know, enjoy the moment. Right, you have to allow for that in music because someone in the crowd will get something from it, or someone listening to the record will get something from it. Um, we have to keep that light, that fire, that flame burning. I agree. Um, it, it, as much as we, as much as we um, have to continue to chase the the standards set by the likes of Bill Withers, who were so lean in their work. Um, yeah, so I I don't know. It's a it's a curveball hot take, but well, I love that, and I think too. You know, I, th- I think Jakir actually King, who produced yeah, your first yeah, record, yeah. Um, one of my good friends, Dad Cockrell, told me one time that he and Jakir were hanging out, and Jakir made a quote. I'm pretty sure it was Jakir. It's something like, "If you ever listen to 
you know, a lot of the music, um, really up until I think like the nineties, there's always something in the track that was just too loud. Yeah. Uh, you, you said it about salt and pepper. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think to some degree, so, so, the, this is, yeah, the, the, there's a different, this is a different theory, but I do think there is something. If you go through the seventies, there's always somebody you're going like, what, did, did he know they were recording? I know. Do you know what I'm saying? Know. Like I, still, uh, still to me, one of the weirdest and worst guitar solos of all time is Jackson Brown, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Dr. My eyes. I love that. Uh, song. And, and I found out somebody told me, that, that it is, I'm not kidding. I would put it down as the worst guitar solo of all, of all time. I'm going to do a hot take on this, but if you ever listen to it, it, it's the, it's, but somebody told me that would know this. They were like, oh yeah, the story is the guy was just running it to figure out what he was going to do. And then the producer was like, we're keeping it. And he was like, you can't keep this. And they're like, yeah, let's keep it. Now that's the story. But, but you know, you, that was a huge hit. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, and the yeah, solo is just terrible. It's like, um, that story sort of reminds me of Al Cooper was the keys player when Bob Dylan did like mm-hmm, a Rolling mm-hmm. Stone. Mm-hmm. Because he was in the room and he wanted to be in the room. And when someone said, or the producer said, who's playing keys? He just put his hand up, sat down at the hammer, didn't know how to play it. And so it was the full half beat or a whole beat behind each chord change. So it goes, once upon a time, you just so And I think the, the chords are changing on the beat, but he's going, bah, 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 and changing it, changing it. He's just sort of looking around that. the room. Like a guitar hand going C G minor. Oh my god! Coming just afterwards, and it's and it's and it, but it added so much. And yeah, it, maybe the most important thing is having someone in the process who's or multiple people in the process who are that open to all of it. Well, I think you, you nailed it, and this is what I take away from this: is it really is about the energy and how it makes you feel. Not what it looks like on the screen. Not what going. Don't we already have like no no? How do I feel when I play this? And like I just feel good. I, I, and when I, I mute it, I feel less good. <laughs> absolutely. I, I'll, I'll sort of, I'll name drop. Um, the last time I was in Nashville, when we were hanging out, I was there working with a great, a great man called Dave Cobb, who's a fantastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Dave is a huge advocate for this way of doing. Um, and I'm glad in 2020 and going forward, he is one of the people around, um, you know, championing this, this way of doing it because we, we were doing, there's, there were moments I can say this now when the music isn't out yet but um, it will get heard. Like there were moments where he would uh, kind of lead on that notion. And I love it when I've heard it in records. Um, but when I'm making my own music, I would be less certain. And I, I was, obviously I had to trust him and his producer capacity. And I'm listening back now to, to mixes and things that are half mix going, Dave, yeah, he knows that he was yeah, right. Yeah. Like, and, and, it's, and, and so it was important therefore to have that person in the room I mean, it was in honesty, you know, particularly even just on paper, it was one of the reasons I was excited to work with him. But when you're doing it for real in the moment, it is terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. And, uh, but it's so important in all music. Dude, James, everybody, that was James Bay. Bring it. Those, can I just, I want to give a round of applause to the homework for these five hot takes. And I want to give a double round of applause for you bringing a real guitar. I feel, it, it, felt, it felt like, I mean, if I sit here and try and sing stuff, it would be horrific. So it's better to at least p- give myself some pitch and try and try and uh, hit it. But, you're a legend. Thank but, you so much for uh, doing Thank this. you for having me, man. It's, uh, I hope, um, well, I know this will go uh, far as a very exciting and eventually legendary format for people to come and talk <laughs> about these, these beautiful depths of music that us guys care so much about. And there's a lot that's of right. us. Uh, dude, that's, that's been my favorite thing so far is the friends that, um, or you know, or doing it, or like, I need like, give me time, and I'm like, oh wow, like, the, yeah. no, no, I need to like, give me time. I, that's like, why okay, I appreciate okay. you asked me a few weeks ago, and I'm like, 
yeah, that's good. If you'd asked me any later, I would have been stressing, sweating a lot more. Right, but um, right. I'm going to push <laughs> yeah. it back. I'm going to push it yeah, back. Yeah. Well, you, dude, you're a legend. Thanks for doing this. It's a joy. It's a pleasure. There's five hot takes. Yeah.